Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. Last week, I introduced my working draft of my opening ranges by position during the first phase of tournaments, which is what Matt Hunt refers to as the preservation phase. And this week, I'm going to look at feedback on those ranges. I'm going to compare them to other opening ranges that I have found published and then uh, consider making potentially some modifications. But just as a quick FYI, uh, as I record this, I have played uh, five tournaments this week, and I final tabled all five of them, including four caches. And I credit being disciplined around these opening ranges at the early stages especially as really setting me up well to run deep. Uh, Obviously, I've still had positive variants, Uh, But these ranges have really energized me about my game in the early stages. And for the tournaments that I'm playing, it really helps me during those levels until the antis kick in. Uh, And really, as long as I feel like I have ample chips, you know, maybe 30 big blinds or more in these weekly tournaments, I feel like I can really continue to use them as a default range. So that is what I've done, and I feel like I've really had a lot of success. I'm not saying we don't have some tweaking to do, but I really feel like this has become a very good foundation. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from people on this uh, and some suggestions for tweaks, so we'll take a look at that later. But as a refresher, where I landed was opening the button with pocket twos and higher and also any suited cards where they are at least three higher than the minimum pair rank. So on the button, that would be any two suited cards that are both at least five. And then offsuit cards that are at least one higher than the suited cards, but subject to a minimum of 10. So on the button, if there is no action before me, and I can't emphasize this enough, what I'm referring to here is when there's no action in front of me. There's no limping, there's no raising. Uh, This is when I'm the first one to voluntarily put chips in. But if there's no action in front of me and I'm on the button and we're early in the tournament, I would open pocket twos and higher, any suited cards that are both at least five, and any offsuit cards that are both at least ten. And then as I move away from the button, I would increase the minimum pair by one for each position and then adjust accordingly. So, for example, if I am five off of the button, I would open raise pocket sevens and higher any two suited cards that are at least 10 and any two offsuit cards that are at least a jack. In the most extreme example, under the gun at a 10-handed table, I would only open pocket nines and higher any two suited cards queens or higher. So ace-king, ace-queen, king-queen. And any two offsuit cards, king or higher, which is just ace-king. So my under-the-gun range early in the tournament when 10-handed is ace-king, ace-queen suited, uh, and king-queen suited, and pocket nines or better. And now obviously this is quite tight at about 4.5%. And the way I described these ranges last week were a combination of the following. Uh, Starting with a blended approach between looking at uh, historical research from other players about hands that have positive EV from different positions and conclusions from GTO calculations of Nash equilibriums on opening hand ranges by position. So that sort of forms the foundation is this blend between EV-based and GTO-based. And then I take these ranges and make the following personal adjustments to suit my preference and style. First is that I want to play a low volatility first stage and focus on preservation. I know that's different than what some people would say is you really want to try to build a chip stack early. That is not the approach that I am taking uh, for my game. So I'm looking for low volatility and try to build slowly during this first phase and really make sure that I'm preserving chips. 
and not uh, wasting them. Uh, second uh, adjustment for my personal style is my comfort playing post-flop from different positions. So I want to adjust for that. Uh, I also want to adjust for exploitive opportunities that generally exist in these weekly tournaments. So I think there are some things that we can uh, just build into our starting ranges that take advantage of some of those uh, exploitive opportunities like lack of three betting and that sort of thing uh, and calling too much. And then the last adjustment would be making these ranges easy to remember and implement for any rec player. So uh, that's part of the emphasis is I recognize that there might be some different hands that should be swapped out. And I think I'll adjust those over time. Uh, but, uh, but I've allowed this to be a much more simplified approach uh, because it's easier to remember and implement for any rec player. If you're playing at a bar league, you can rem remember uh, this without having to get too complicated. So I still probably need a, a catchy name for these ranges, um, either for the ranges themselves or the process by which they're constructed. So I don't know what that's going to be, you know, deuces plus three plus one or the rec poker reversing ranges. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's, it's kind of fun to have a name. But that's, that's the general approach. I just wanted to remind you of that. Now, before we get into the feedback and comparison, a couple of quick things. Uh, we have launched RecPokerTraining.com, which has links to the podcast. The Twitter feed has information about the other offerings that we've expanded to, uh, training seminars, email coaching, tracking and analytics, and some wonderful endorsements from pros and media and rec players. So check that out. And once again, thanks to Brad Olson for getting this cranking so quickly. Uh, I'm still fine-tuning the seminars for November, so I'll keep you posted through the podcast, website, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, eventually, I will have an email blast, but I don't have that yet. So still fine-tuning what's going to happen and where it's going to happen for those seminars in November. Now, I have secured the following content providers who have given me access to some or all of their content to be able to work through it and share the most critical things with you during our seminars and during our other times together. Uh, they include the Solve for Why Academy, featuring Matt Berkey, Jordan Young, Christian Soto, Matt Hunt, and others, the GTO Range Builder with Alex Sutherland, Assassinato Coaching with Alex Fitzgerald, PokerCoaching.com with Jonathan Little, and ConsciousPoker.com with Alec Torelli. And once their new stuff is released, I will have access to Reading Poker Tells with Zach Elwood and Check Shove Poker with Hunter Sitchie. So thanks to all of you guys. I also want to encourage you all to support what we're doing on Patreon.com slash RecPoker, and here's why. The more support that's generated there, the more time that I'm going to have to get through all of the content from our content providers, uh, other content on the web, and to go through all of that, find the most relevant and powerful insights, and share that with you. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really looking at right now is uh, having some sort of a minimum support level at which time uh, you will have access to these daily insights. So my plan is to spend two to three hours at least uh, every day, go through poker content, some of that, that premium stuff from our partners, some of it just uh, books, online uh, videos, all of those things, and then distill that down to summarize it into actionable insights for you, the recreational player who doesn't have time to go through all of the stuff that's out there, doesn't have time to figure out what's good, what's bad, how do I apply it. So my plan is to go all, go through all of that every day, spend two to three hours, create a 10 to 20 minute summary of that with actionable insights that you can use. And I'm going to make those daily insights available to those of you who are supporting me on, on uh, patreon.com 
I haven't decided the level at which uh, that is going to be available, so I'll probably start making it available to anybody who's supporting me on Patreon, and then at some point uh, I'll determine what that level is that's required to have access to that. And then the more support we get, the more people following that, the more people having access to that, the more things uh, that we can do. So personally, I would love to make this my mission uh, and spend all of my energy improving the quality and number of recreational Texas Hold'em players. So would love to have your support out there. And one of the most supportive non-financial things you can do for the podcast is get out on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, share it. All of that stuff helps us grow a ton. So I want to thank uh, those of you who I've seen wearing the rec poker gear. I see it more and more. Uh, I'm starting to see it around there a little bit more. Uh, And of course, those folks are doing well because of that correlation I've talked about between rec poker and positive results. Uh, Jerry Kniff is tearing it up right now. Uh, He ended up winning the seniors event of the fall poker classic. And who was runner-up? Well, Rec Poker listener Carl Woodington, who got his biggest score of his life uh, in that uh, in second place at the seniors event while wearing the fantastic-looking Rec Poker sweatshirt from Flop the World. Uh, also had a chance to final table with Brian Soja, who's almost always representing with the patch. And also I saw Taylor Moss wearing the patch. Of course, Chad McVean is always supporting uh, what we're doing. And now I know Darren Peasley is planning on wearing that patch uh, during the upcoming Optimum. So a lot of stuff going on there. Thanks to all you guys. And finally, thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces, who's been with us from the beginning, uh, have met at so many great people there, many of whom uh, have a serious passion for improving their game. So with all of that, uh, now let's look back at my ranges. How does this compare to other popular opening hand ranges? Uh, well, I looked at, at Hunter Sitchi, uh, who is Czech Shove Poker, and it's pretty consistent with his, actually. Uh, Hunter has uh, looks at nine-handed play, and he has you opening under the gun, pocket sevens and higher, ace-king and ace-queen suited, compared to mine, which would be pocket sevens and higher, ace-king, ace-queen, king-queen, uh, and also suited ace-jack, king-jack, and queen-jack. So I'm actually a little bit looser uh, uh, in that situation than Hunter is. Um, so Hunter is uh, also even tighter in the middle positions than I am, um, moving to all pairs and big cards. Uh, he never does get into any suited connectors until the cutoff, uh, and he adds in suited aces once he hits the button. So a few differences there, uh, but generally uh, fairly similar. If I look at Ed Miller in his book, The Course, he breaks down positions only as early, which includes everything from under the gun through the hijack, which is just before the cutoff. And then he also includes the cutoff and the button uh, in his ranges. And so in that early position, uh, he has, uh, I guess, pocket twos through and up. He has ace two suited and higher, king 10 suited, queen 10 suited, jack 10 suited, uh, seven six suited connectors and higher. Ace-King and Ace-Queen offsuit. So that's for all of that range. Uh, So if I look at all of those positions, my range varies by position along the spectrum of 4.5% to 23%, whereas he has for all of those positions about a 14% range. So on average, it's about the same. Uh, I just have mine incremented more by, by spot. Now he gets wider in the cutoff at 22%, which is pretty close to my 25%. And his button is 33%, which is a bit looser than my 29%. But all in all, I think that's it's fairly, uh, fairly close there. So then, if we look at uh, what uh, Sky Matsuhashi used, well, he uses Ed Miller stuff, and he basically keeps the percentages the same. He just sort of 
uh, bring some hands in and take some hands out. So basically the same general framework. Uh, I looked in the book No Limits, which is written by Chris Fox Wallace and Adam Stemple. And uh, it's really focusing on cash games, but there are insights I think that are helpful for considering phase one hand ranges because everyone is deep stacked just like they would be in a cash game. Now they did a ton of researches from databases on the expected value of starting hands. And what they found for opening hand ranges was based on nine handed. And for that under the gun was pocket eights and higher, ace king and ace queen suited. And if you compare this to my under-the-gun nine-handed, which is also pocket eights and higher, uh, mine does drop to suited uh, jacks and higher and offsuit queens and higher. So we are actually a slight bit looser than Fox when looking at under-the-gun nine-handed. And Fox is very similar in that he drops by one for the first few positions, going down to pocket sevens, ace-queen and ace-jack suited, Um, but not getting into anything like king-queen suited until reaching the fifth position when he starts loosening up. On the cutoff, he is including things like suited Broadway, suited aces, and on the button, he is much more loose. The 1.5 million hands database shows the percentage of hands that are profitable by position, and the opening percentage increases at an increasing rate, starting with about 5% under the gun nine-handed and ending at about 18% on the button. So we are different in that Fox, uh, his research shows that the percentage of hands that can be played profitably from an EV perspective is even a bit tighter than we are and a bit less linear. Uh, For example, in the hijack, which is two before the button, Fox is still opening at 10%. Uh, So if you you think about um, his percentages under the gun um, compared to the hijack compared to the button, Uh, Those percentages are 5%, 10%, and 18%. And if you look at my opening ranges, uh, opening percentages in those same positions, I'm at 8, 23, 18. So I am significantly wider than what Fox is showing. And there are a couple of reasons why I am okay with these differences. In tournament poker, we have a blinds continually increasing, unlike cash where they stay the same. So it's mandatory in tournaments that we chip up. Whereas in cash, we don't have that ticking clock that's pressuring us to be more active. And secondly, the general players that I am playing against are more passive with far less three betting. So I can raise wider without as much fear of getting three bet. So I will still get to see flops with most of my raises, uh, assuming anyone called at all. If I look at what Daniel Negreanu uh, published in Power Hold'em Strategy, uh, he, he laid out his suggestion for hands to raise with early position when there's no ante, as being pocket sevens and higher, ace king and ace queen, and in early position when there is an ante, going all the way down to pocket twos, ace king, ace queen, ace jack, king queen, and suited uh, Broadway cards. So it's interesting, uh, Daniel actually looks at uh, if there's an ante or not, and I think part of that is, uh, are these pots worth going after uh, and opening up loose when there is no ante, when it's just a blind and a half in the middle? In middle position and late position, he doesn't make a distinction between having the ante or not. Uh, in middle position, he says, uh, let's match the early position when there is an ante. So if you remember in early position, uh, there's an opening range when there is and isn't an ante. He says the middle position should just match that early position when there is an ante. And then in late position, he goes down to pocket twos and higher, ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, king-queen, suited Broadway cards, suited connectors to eight-seven, and ace-x suited. So here, uh, as I mentioned, early position with no ante is considered 
um, a little bit tighter and it's consistent with my current range. Now, I didn't adjust for antis other than thinking we are probably entering phase two once the antis kick in. So in a sense, we're adjusting because I'm saying these are my ranges phase one, which is for the most part before antis kick in. So I'm going to have to consider that when I start looking at uh, my phase two um, sort of uh, opening ranges. So Daniel increases uh, from this 6% recommended range to about 12% with the addition of antis. And he doesn't make a distinction for middle position, which is the same 12%. And then late position, he's recommending about 16%. So in this case, Daniel is recommending looser than my early position and tighter than my late position. And then Dan Harrington in Modern Tournament Poker shares his suggested opening hand ranges by position, looking at those who are tight and those who are loose. For tight players, he suggests ranges would be 10% under the gun, 15% middle, 22% cutoff, and 30% button, which is very similar to our 5, 10, 25, and 29. So we're not that far off, except we're a bit tighter earlier and more linear than Dan's suggestion. Now, I know that there are others out there that are much, much looser, uh, which I'm not debating. For me, my personality, my current comfort level playing post-flop out of position, and my being convinced that low volatility in the first phase of a tournament poker uh, situation is correct um, um, from an ICM perspective, uh, these have all led me to affirm the ranges that I've laid out here for opening when it's folded to me early in a tournament. So let's now look at some of the feedback that I got directly in response to these ranges. I've got some audio clips from a professional player, Jonathan Little, followed by audio clips from Brian Morey and Jerry Kniff. And then I've got some written comments uh, that I'll respond to as well. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com. I'm sure that you all have already been through the ranges listed. And I wanted to point out a few things that I thought were interesting in the way that Steve's questions were phrased. So um, first things first, you definitely want to count backwards whenever you're looking at your positions. You go button, cutoff, hijack, low jack, then the earlier positions. Do not think that under the gun, 10-handed, should play the same range as under the gun, 6-handed, because your ranges should be based on the players yet to act. Do not think under the gun, 10-handed, is the same as 4-handed. That would be a gigantic mistake. A lot of people often ask, like, what's the difference between six-handed and nine-handed poker? Well, just assume you're playing nine-handed poker, but the first three players fold. Um, one other thing Steve mentioned here is that um, he's saying these are his ranges for phase one, preservation phase. Now, I do not think about poker at all like this. I am thinking, how do I make the most profitable decisions I can in each individual hand? Now, early in a tournament... This is often when you'll be playing very deep stacked against mostly recreational players. As the, fee, as the tournament progresses, what happens is the skill level often decreases because the weaker players go broke, which means there are proportionally more strong players, and the blinds go up, which means there is less post-flop advantage. So if you think you are a good player and you strive to become a good player, you need to get experience playing deep stacked. If you play only a very snug range, which I really do think that the ranges outlined for Steve that he will use are very, very snug, I think you're going to end up leaving a ton of money on the table. Whenever I'm playing in the early levels of a tournament, I am trying to see as many flops as possible with a wide range of hands that can flop reasonably well 
against the recreational players. Now, if I show up to a tournament and it's all world-class players, well, sure, we're going to play a much more solid game theory optimal type strategy. But if I am playing in essentially any tournament with a buy-in below about $5,000, I expect to be playing with mostly recreational players just because there aren't that many world-class pros playing. And, you know, sometimes you find yourself in a bad spot, but more often than not, it's going to be fine especially if you're playing tournaments like $500 local tournaments or um, $3,500 buy-in you know, main events where a lot of people satellite in. So looking at these ranges, I think really they're all a little bit too snug across the board, except for perhaps the earliest few seats. I, I think the earliest seat, um, under the gun, 10-handed, is 4.5% of hands, which is I don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head, but it's going to be very, very tight, like aces, kings, queens, jacks, and ace, king. That's probably about 3% of hand, so a tiny bit more than that. And I would just say that is almost certainly too tight. So I think you probably need to loosen up a little bit from there. You can raise pocket eights and better from pretty much all spots all the time. It's just perfectly fine to do. Also, you can raise like ace, queen suited, an ace, queen offsuit, really, from all spots all the time. So don't, don't be so nitty there. You may, you may also find that um, this jump between 4.5% under the gun, 9-handed to 2nd position, I'm sorry, 4.5% under the gun, 10-handed to 8% in the 2nd position under the gun plus 1, 10-handed is often going to be much too big of a jump. So I would, I would tell you to, to be a little bit more... I don't even know the right word. Like, I, w I want you to question what you're doing more. It seems like you're trying to develop some strategy to just blindly follow. Like, for example, on the button, you're saying both cards suited five or plus. Cut off. Both cards button are both cards suited six or plus. Hijack. Both cards suited seven or plus. I, I, I think that's just too simplistic. Same thing with the pairs. You're going pocket twos, then pocket threes, and pocket fours, and pocket fives. That's just not how poker works. It seems like you're trying to be much too simple about it. And you have to instead ask which hands are profitable to play in these situations. And you may find many tables, by the way, where you should be opening a lot of pairs from early position and some tables where you should be significantly tighter from early position. So be aware of that. I think that's going to be a very, very helpful idea for you. And really, understand that you win tournaments not by surviving but by getting a hold of a nice chip stack and using that chip stack to run over the players who have to be more uh, prone to try to survive, right? If you have a small or medium stack, your goal often is just to sort of hang around and get in the money. But if you have a big stack, your goal is to try to push around those players who are trying to hang around and win the tournament. Most of your profit comes from winning the tournament, and I think these ranges that you have outlined will do a great job of helping you make the top 30% of a field on a regular basis, but if you make the top 30% of a field on a regular basis, you're actually going to lose a pile of money. Min cashing is not the goal. The goal is to win the tournament, and you can't say, I'm going to play tight early and then loose late if you want to actually have a significant edge long term, because what you're saying is, by using this strategy, I think I don't do not have much of an advantage when playing deep stacked against bad players. That is what your strategy essentially says to me. And if that's how you think about your game, well, you need to be working on your game so that you feel as if you do have an advantage deep stacked against weak players. So um, consider that. Uh, I would definitely, definitely tell you to loosen up a bit. And if you find that playing looser leads to 
post-flop situations that you may not know how to deal with, well, that's not a reason to play tight or pre-flop. That is a reason to learn how to play post-flop better. That's all I have for today. This has been Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com. Hi, this is Brian Morey, responding to Rick Poker's opening hand rages. And I actually really, really like the ease of it. Uh, everything you spoke about, how you start it with, you know, at the button with pocket deuces. Of course, that's going to change, you know, depending on situations and how many people are at the table. Uh, but I think for starting a tournament out, standard, especially in, you know, 10-person table, I think it's fantastic. So again, I think this is a great starting spot, like I said, especially for sta- for rec poker players, you know, standard uh, Texas Hold'em tournament starting. So hopefully we'll build on this. And, of course, like I said, when I look at things, it depends on obviously so many different things, but, you know, who's at the table, uh, where I'm sitting at the table, who's ahead of me, behind me, all those types of things, stack sizes, of course. But great place to start. I think it's the ease of it is, is very, very good, and you can expand on that as you want on your own. Thanks. Hi, Steve. I really like the idea of working back from the button with your opening hand ranges. I do think there is some tweaking that could be done to improve them, however. I would consider narrowing your opening hand ranges in later positions, particularly with the suited gappers. One gap suited connectors place similarly. However, according to your range, you may be playing some three to four gapped suited hands. And most of the time when you connect with the flop, it would be top pair with a weak kicker or middle or bottom pair with a good kicker. And those can be difficult to play, particularly out of position. I would consider limiting your hands to either one or two gapped connectors suited. Also, I think that particularly under the gun, your range is too narrow. I would have difficulty folding ace-queen offsuit, king-queen offsuit, ace-jack suited. I understand one of your goals is to limit the volatility early on in the tournament, but you may be also leaving your range unbalanced in early position. When stacks are deep, balancing your range with 4-5 suited, 6-7 suited, and lower pairs for the implied odds would be reasonable and keep your opponents guessing. You don't necessarily need to pay play all the middle suited connectors in earlier positions, maybe just play the red. But more importantly, astute opponents will not be able to narrow your early position ranges. If your post-flop play is good in and out of position, and I think yours is, you are leaving 
money on the table without widening your ranges earlier on. Yes, I understand you do want to reduce volatility. However, these first three or four levels of a tournament are an opportunity to chip up before weaker players are eliminated. If you don't get these chips, someone else will, and they will be gone by levels five or six. So to sum it up, I would narrow your ranges a little bit in later positions by eliminating three or four gap connectors suited and widen your ranges earlier on with smaller pairs and some suited connectors. Otherwise, thanks for your work and see you at the tables. All right. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, Those are much appreciated. Some things I'm going to think about there. I think none of them are going to drive me to change my ranges at this point. I'm going to continue forward with what I have. Uh, Obviously, keeping all of these things in mind. And as I continue to play, I'll be thinking, ah, is this uh, too tight, too loose? Uh, What are some of the other parameters that maybe cause me to adjust this? But at this point, I'm actually pretty comfortable with these ranges for me in the tournaments uh, that I am playing. All right, so now some written uh, feedback. John Vensky uh, through the Facebook group, Rec Poker, said, Hey, Steve, just listen to the podcast regarding your hand ranges. I really like the simplicity of them. My only question is playing in tournaments like the Fall Poker Classic at Canterbury. Sorry, Running Aces. Uh, I noticed many of the pros are playing more aggressively than what you are suggesting in the early stage of the tournament. As we head to break, they typically have the big stack at the table while recreational players or newer players are fighting to stay above starting stack. Do you think this hand range will work against better players such as John Kim, Vic Pepe, or, Jake, or Blake Bond? My response to, uh, to John was, uh, thanks, John. I agree that most pros will have a wider range, especially in later position. Many of them do accumulate chips early, but also many of them bust early. From an ICM perspective, I believe that playing with high volatility the first few levels is a mistake in the long run. Another factor is that they have more comfort playing all sorts of hands post-flop and out of position. As I gain more comfort playing Ace-X or Jack-8 out of position, maybe those become part of my arsenal. I think there will be tweaks to these defaults, but I also think there are times to stray from them given player, table, and stack dynamics. I also think there are a lot of top players who don't bother playing a lot of small pots early, but they just aren't as flashy. So like I mentioned here, there, I think there's a number of pro players that I've seen that are really gifted recreational players that, that just don't bother playing those early pots unless they're, uh, they have a good hand or it's a big, a big pot situation. Uh, they just don't sort of get the accolades as some of the others. Uh, in response, John said, I agree with you regarding professionals not concerned with the amount of rebuys. I saw quite a few that rebought multiple times. For a rec player, I am assuming our bankroll doesn't allow for the same playing style, which is why I'm very intrigued on your hand ranges. All right, thanks, John. Appreciate the dialogue. Chris Hall on Facebook said, A big stack in early stages of tournaments is really meaningless as there are a lot of play left and the pots are usually small money-wise compared to mid-late tournaments uh, or middle and late in tournaments. What I can recommend is play less hands early and be more aggressive mid to mid-late in the tournament so you have a stack going into the final table. Keep in mind, tournament poker is a strategy of getting a nice stack at the final table. Tough players know this and hence why they are more aggressive. They are not afraid to bust as it's a waste of time going into the final table with no chips to play with. 
Good luck at the tables and hammer down on your game theory fundamentals. And don't worry about who you think these pros are, uh, who these pros think uh, are, you say. Um, yeah, I think, Chris, uh, that's much appreciated. I do think that there's a there's a time to level up the aggression. I think your stack size, stack size around you, uh, bubble situations. As we get deeper and deeper into the tournament, I agree that uh, we should ramp up the aggression a little bit. Um, and, and even early in the tournament, I'm not saying aggression is necessarily a bad thing. Remember, all we're talking about right now is what are the preflop um, ranges to open with. We're not talking about how aggressive to play them. So um, I think you can be aggressive early. I think you can be aggressive uh, middle, late, uh, whatever. Uh, but I do think hand selection um, early helps you avoid those landmines uh, and those situations where you're con- where you're going to have these high reverse implied odds, especially in situations where you just you know picking up a few hundred chips doesn't matter, but you could potentially lose thousands. Um, and obviously you could always do that, but I think it increases the odds the wider you are, uh, especially with some sub uh, subpar hands. So good point there. I do think there's a place for aggression even early, but especially as the tournament's going on. Chad McVean. Uh, hey, Chad. He says, I really like the linear range you put out. It's logical. I normally have a somewhat vague range and adjust it significantly based on the table and my image. I'm also now really intrigued by what your three betting range could be, hopefully in the next episode. <laughs> and I responded to Chad. I said, uh, that will be coming. Uh, and I let him know that this episode, I plan to focus on how my phase one opening ranges compare to others and have been made public and share that feedback from Rex and pros about my opening range. Uh, and definitely in weeks ahead, I am going to be looking at three betting. Jake Stringfellow says, I've listened to many of your podcasts and greatly respect your knowledge of not only being a better player yourself, but helping others along the way. Why, thank you, Jake. Uh, he says, I've always played with certain hands in certain positions and used pot odds, etc. But whatever happened to playing the player just on what you think they have? I would, of course, be selective of my position and players, but it's something I always do. Like my grandfather told me when I was little, son, it's not all about skill or luck, but about being the best bullshitter and being the best at reading through all the bullshit. I've stuck by that to this day. All right. Thank you, Jake. And and what I responded to Jake was just that, that this is a very important point. And, and, um, and, but for me, uh, playing the player definitely comes in. I do adjust my ranges. I do adjust how I react to, uh, players as I'm deciding what to do, uh, when they raise or three bet, uh, if I'm deciding to make a hero call or not, all of those things definitely come into play. Uh, this is really focusing right now on what, what, what hands do I want to open with if nobody has taken action? But there are a couple of points embedded in here that I want to make. And, and first of all, I recognize that I'm not as good at reading people as others are. So I don't depend on that as much as some people can. I just know that's not a strength of mine. And secondly, because uh, I'm only talking about preflop ranges, what hands to play, um, regardless of, of who's in the pot, I found that being more selective does help me avoid a ton of difficult spots down the road uh, in the hand in the tournament. Um, so I think reading people is still important, but these ranges are designed to reduce volatility of chip stacks when it is not as important as later in a tournament. Okay, uh, thanks, Jake. Mike Engelhop says, I think this is fantastic. I love how easy it will be to remember and put into practice. I'm guessing one thing you will hear in terms of feedback is that your button opening isn't wide enough. Two thoughts, Mike says. First, keep it where it is. 
I think it would be interesting to see what happens when you tighten up a button opening range. I think most poker players now understand that a button open should be wide. Therefore, I think it could be in some ways viewed as an exploitative play to tighten up the button uh, to counter-exploit players who may now be over-calling or over-re-raising out of the blinds versus the button. This would, of course, mean you are going to have to think about how you are going to respond. Stage one of a tournament, I would respond by over-calling and not folding a lot. So maybe keep pocket kings and pocket aces in your calling range. Uh, I assume what he means is when I'm facing a three-bet. That is, keep everything in your calling range to a three-bet uh, when raising out of the button. Secondly, Mike says, figure out a simple way to widen that range. Maybe all suited connectors. Maybe all offsuits 9+. plus. It just depends on what percent you want to get to. 40%, 50%? And final thought, this was a great podcast that might make a big improvement to other rec players' games if they follow your range system. So I really like it, although it's going to make the tournaments tougher and tougher. Sad face. All right. Thanks, Mike. I don't disagree with anything there. It's it's interesting how, um, yeah, my, my first thought when I looked at the ranges were my button range is too tight. But looking at some of the pros recommendations, at least from what was published, um, it, it may not be tight enough, according to some people. So uh, that's certainly an interesting uh, dialogue. It sure seems like those opening ranges on the button are anywhere between 15% and 70%. So um, it's, an, it's an interesting uh, discussion for sure. So if I look at all of that feedback now, some of the themes, um, anything I'm second guessing, uh, I would say that uh, definitely I'm tighter than most people on the button. Uh, but I think about, okay, the blinds are 2550 and it folds around to me on the button. Okay, I can raise to 150 and uh, I could do it really wide and hoping that I get a lot of folds. So maybe I can pick up 75 in an unraised pot. Now, is that worth doing that with a subpar hand? Uh, if I get three bet, I have to fold, which could be fairly likely if they know I'm opening wide and then I lose 150. Uh, if I get called, I'm likely behind and perhaps I'm facing significant negative implied odds. I raise with jack four and I get, you know, I get called by King Jack and I flop a jack. I mean, you just don't know, obviously, anytime that can happen. But I think you're putting yourself into a lot of situations that you that you just don't need to. And they're just not worth it, uh, especially if you think about the distinction that Daniel Negreanu made about uh, having antis or not. I mean, if there's not antis, it just feels like there's just not that much in there worth going after with a subpar hand. And the other theme I notice is that my range tends to be more linear than most. But in my analysis of EV, uh, looking at fold equity and range versus range hand equity, uh, what I found is that these hands that are either included or excluded really are of minimal EV. They're either slightly positive or slightly negative, And it's really not the bulk of the EV calculation at all. So I feel like I can raise more in middle position um, just because the overall change in EV is very small. And by doing that, uh, it creates this uh, situation where the strategy is much easier to remember and much easier to apply. And also, I'm okay with more raises in middle position, uh, which is making my opening hand ranges more linear, because of the lack of three betting that's happening in most of the tournaments that I'm playing. So at this point, good stuff. I'm going to keep thinking about that, especially things like, you know, adding suited aces uh, in in late position and maybe getting rid of some three or four 
uh, suited gapper stuff that, that Jerry mentioned. But at this point, I love how easy it is to remember. And frankly, I'm I'm five for five in uh, in final table and caching this week. Uh, not to you know, obviously that's just one part of it. But the comfort level that I feel from this is, is very profound, and it's really freeing my mind up to think about other things. So I'm going to stick with it for now. So that is it for today. Uh, next week, I plan to look at how to respond to three bets with my ranges. Now, I did a couple episodes a while back on uh, what to do in response to three bets, both in position and out of position. So uh, feel free to go back and listen to those. I'm going to do that as part of this uh, preparation for next week. Uh, But if you have some input you want to share with me in terms of looking at the ranges I have and how to respond to three bets, I'm happy to uh, look at that and include that uh, where it makes sense as well. Now, uh, as we close off here, just remember that there's some new programs available at recpokertraining.com. You can get information on training seminars, email, Q&A coaching, and tracking and analytics. I want to thank all of you guys for listening, contributing, and all my friends in the poker world. Let's keep growing together. Thanks again to our official sponsor, Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. Reminder, get out on iTunes, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Remember, Patreon, I'm going to start making some content available for those of you who are supporting me on Patreon, uh, looking at starting some daily insights there where I'm going to be taking all I'm learning and try to put it into 10 to 15 to 20 minute uh, segments uh, uh, that can kind of synthesize it for those of you who don't have the time to go through it all. I'll probably just take all the best of things and try to give you some insights every day. And that'll be available for those of you who are supporting me on Patreon. And also if you want to wear some patches, like I said, more and more patches are going out there. Uh, I have so on, I have adhesive. Just let me know. You can get some hats, shirts, sweatshirts at floptheworld.com slash poker. And as always, if you have any feedback, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or email stevefredland at gmail.com. Thanks, y'all.